Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of the Cleveland Moto Podcast, but it's not. It's just Cleveland Moto Delivers, man. You're in the truck with me. We're making a delivery. I'm delivering a motorcycle to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Got some time to kill in the truck and wanted to reach out to you folks because, yep, we get questions and sometimes we don't address them in the podcast because the podcast isn't really the right format for addressing that particular question. And one of the things that I don't like covering in the podcast is when we start getting in detail about actually running a motorcycle shop. And I I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I've been doing it for 23 years. Uh, actually, many years before that, but 23 years with a business license hanging on the wall. And the reason that I wanted to kind of take this opportunity to approach it because there has been some hate thrown my way. And when I talk about hate, I am talking about some straight-up evilness because of some of our policies. And when I explain them to you, hopefully you will understand why these policies need to exist and why your shop near you may have similar policies or maybe why the shop by you closed up and went the hell out of business. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a direct laser beam focus deep dive into shops. And the first, and I mean the most important thing I'm going to talk about, is the guys who own the shops. The guys who own the shops, every single guy that I have ever met that owned a shop was passionate. And I mean, they loved it. They loved riding motorcycles. They loved bikes. They loved scooters. They loved ATVs, side-by-sides, and quads. They absolutely loved them. That's why they got into this stuff. Now, there's a bit of a chicken and egg going on. And it's because of that passion. You may have heard that the guy piloting the 737 makes less money than the guy installing the avionics in the 737. You may have heard that the guy piloting uh, your flight from Texas to Baltimore is making less money than somebody on the flight crew like a, a flight attendant or cabin personnel. That might be true. And the reason for that always has been that the love of flying, the passion for flying, is what keeps these guys in that chair working really tough hours and with the hearts and souls of 400 people sometimes right behind them. They have to do their job right. And being a pilot is not just jumping the plane and yeehaw. It is books. It is planning. It is scheduling. It is not just grab the sticks and let's go fly the airplane. It's a lot of hard work. And the fact that they make as little money as they do, and I do know pilots who have a hard time paying the bills. It's because they're so passionate. And I assure you that the motorcycle industry is very much the same way. What do I mean by that? Well, I have never in my life seen margins, and margin is what's left over in your pocket when you extract what you paid for something versus what you sold it for, profit. And every item in the store has a margin. Now, 
your gross profit, that's eaten into by your cost of doing businesses. So when you've got your margin and you buy an item, in the normal world, if you're selling t-shirts, I would expect that you'd sell a t-shirt for $10, you'd spend two on that t-shirt. That's pretty much the way it works in clothing. So you're going to make three, four, or five times what you paid for the item, 200, 300, 400% uh, of what you paid for the item, and that's your margin on that item. And the reason the margin has to be so high is because, well, guess what? You've got to own the store. You've got to pay the rent. You've got to pay the insurance. You've got to pay the salaries of the people involved. You've got workers' comp that you have to pay. You've got unemployment that you have to pay. Uh, it's quite expensive to get the brick-and-mortar store open and to do the things that you need to do every single day. It is way more expensive than most people think it is. Look in the eyes of any small business owner, and you can tell they've seen some shit. So when we're talking about a motorcycle dealership, I have to bring it to your attention that the margins are crap. Yeah, they're crap. Now, when I got into the game, it was considered to be normal. If you bought a spark plug for $1.50, you sold that spark plug for 3 bucks. That's pretty great. That's a 100% uh, return on your money. That's fantastic. That's great. And you can sell things like that. Uh, and you can stay in business. What's happened is over the years, the margins have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. And first of all, things happened, you know, when they say a tax goes on, a temporary tax goes on, but it very rarely ever goes away. Nobody ever says, oh, well, we've decided to change things and we're taking that tax away now. That very rarely ever actually happens. The more likely thing is just like with the income tax in the United States, it was there to support the war effort. And when the war was over, the income tax never went away. That's something, that's something that you should be used to. Uh, once a tax is added, the idea of a tax being temporary, that's never the case. And that's what happened in our industry is that over the years, many, many years, uh, prices went up. The cost of these items went up. And the dealership didn't always raise the price of the item in lockstep with the cost. And that's why it's we you know kind of get a kick out of it sometimes where we're saying something like, oh, well, you know, this particular helmet, this particular helmet has been, you know, a $69 helmet for 10 years. Well, I don't think that helmet's been an actual 69. I bet you the retail on that helmet has stayed $69 for 10 years, but I'll bet you the guy who's selling you that helmet, he used to buy that helmet for $29 or $39, and now he's buying that helmet for $49 or $59. So the margins have gone away and that's happened throughout the industry. And I mean, that is on everything and where it hits dealers the hardest is exactly where you think it is. It's the bikes themselves because a good dealership might be doing a third of their business. Their, their dollars coming into the store, a third of those dollars may be coming in, in their service department. And the other 70% is going to be their sales, their, Motorcycle sales, accessory sales, and all that good stuff. Now, when we think about 
how many uh, bikes that we sell. Now, it is true that when you're purely counting dollars, yes, the 30% of your dollars are coming in the form of service, 70% are coming in the way of the bikes and accessories, the clothing. Now, here's the trick. If your service is making you 50% margin or 60% margin, you're doing great. You're doing what you should be doing. That's why when you call a motorcycle shop and they tell you something bananas, like, oh, an hour of labor costs 90, 100, $120 an hour. And you're like, wow, I don't get paid $120 an hour where I work. No, my mechanic doesn't get paid $120 an hour either. But that is the cost of our keeping our shop open and keeping that mechanic making a good wage and our cost of having the mechanic and our cost of having the building and the tools and everything that goes along with it. Uh, these $4,000 code readers that they make us buy from time to time, that's something that wasn't part of our normal shop 10 years ago or 20 years ago. That's something that has definitely gotten worse as we've moved forward. Now, we talk about that being 30%. Okay, the other 70%. Well, what do you think the biggest item is? The motorcycles, the scooters, the ATVs, the side-by-sides, the quads. All of those things are the biggest items. Well, the manufacturers on those have dropped the margins year over year over year over year since I started in this game selling retail motorcycles 23 years ago. When I came into the game, many of the manufacturers we were working with, we were making over 30 points, 32 points in one case. And that's pretty great, right? 32 points is cool. That's the kind of number you want. That's where you buy a bike for $6,000, right? And you're selling that bike for $9,000. You're selling that bike for $8,000 and $9,000 out the door with fees. And you're like, yeah, that's great. If I'm making $2,000 per bike, if I'm going to make two grand every time I, uh, somebody pulls the trigger, well, that's fantastic. What has happened though is the margins on these bikes have gone down to, and I'm not kidding you, 10%, 10 points, uh, 10 points margin. And that's not even out of control. How did that happen? Well, how that happened is, these manufacturers know that the guy who owns the dealership is passionate. They know that the guy who owns the dealership does this for the love. And he does it for the love. Absolutely. So is he going to shut his shop down? Is he going to close his shop down when you eat that profit margin down from 20%, 20 points, down to 16? Nobody's going to be angry. So you're going to come up with some cockamamie thing like, yeah, but what we're doing is we're going to promote a service package for you. You're going to sell your customers a service package uh, where you're going to pre-bill them $600 for a year's maintenance or two years maintenance contract. And what you're going to do is you're going to give the customer two years of oil changes. You're going to give them a discount on tires and you're going to give them some reason that they think something, a package that you can sell to your customer to make them believe that it's worth the 600 bucks. And then the manufacturer says, yeah, and that $600 service contract that we're letting you sell, that we're promoting on our website and our magazine ads, that is uh, a lot of profit for you. So that's a $600 item. 
but you're going to keep 400 of them. Well, yeah, but I'm giving away the service. That's my labor you're giving away. You're giving my labor away to help you sell your bike. And I'm paying another 200 for that service contract out of my pocket so I can keep the extra 400. Yeah, but that extra 400 we're making for you brings the margin up to what it used to be last year. And this happens all the time. And the other way manufacturers will dick with the dealers is they'll say, yeah, we've hurt your margin. We've taken away your margin, but we're going to give you an advertising co-op. We're going to give you, if you advertise uh, for your business, which we know you're going to do, well, we're going to pay for half of it. Well, but then they're going to get real prickly on you. Oh, I'm sorry, but the advertisement has to be up to our standards. And I know that you sell three different brands of bikes at your shop. But the advertisement in question can't must only mention the name of our brand. You can't mention anybody else in your advert. We're not paying for that. So now the deal is they're going to pay you half. So if you do a thousand dollar media buy, you know Facebook marketing, you know ad or something like that, you do a thousand dollar buy, they're going to pay half of it. But it's going to look like it's an ad for their brand, which ultimately that falls down to marketing they should be doing because that's just their brand alone. And this has given these manufacturers the excuse for why they don't have to do any advertising in your market anymore, because they're making this available for you in the form of this advertising co-op money. And that's why they're not gonna advertise in your market anymore. That's why they're not gonna promote their brand in your market, that's your job, because they're giving you a 50% co-op. Well, if you buy a $1,000 Facebook marketing buy, that's still 500 out of your pocket. And here's the crazy part is you have to fight to get the other $500 back from the manufacturer. And that's something you probably didn't think you were going to be doing when you had the great idea to open your motorcycle shop. Because very little of what I do over the course of my day is what I would have thought would have been part of part and parcel to being a motorcycle shop owner back 25 years ago when I decided to do it. Very little of my day is actually spent doing the thing that you think my job would be. Most of it is chasing manufacturers down for warranty claim money, chasing people down for damage to transit claims, and things of that nature. Trying to get people to give money back that they owe my dealership that helps me offset the fact that I'm only making a 10% profit margin or a 14% profit margin. Then when they don't pay their warranty claims and you got to fight them for it, it makes it even worse. Then come the warranty claims. A customer has a problem with a bike, the bike comes in. Remember when I told you that a dealership might charge $90 or $120 for their labor? Well, a lot of these companies will not pay out at your normal labor rate. They will pay out at their labor rate at a lower labor rate. And that's ridiculous and they shouldn't be allowed to do it, but many of them do. And then the other thing is, if a customer comes in and he's got a burned up ECU, which is clearly a fault of the manufacturer, the bike is less than a year old, it's got a burned up ECU, and now you've got to dig that ECU out of that bike and you've got to do the diagnostic on it and replace it. And then you look in the pay sheet for that warranty item and you find out that that warranty ECU only pays out 10 minutes of labor or 12 minutes of labor, two-tenths of an hour. Well, 
that's great, but I've got to take the seat off. I've got to take the gas tank off. I've got to take the side panels off and the battery off to get to that ECU. And then I got to put all those items back on again. Yeah, well, that's fine. They pay 12 minutes. So now we can see where the warranty claims. So a brand that has a lot of warranty claims can absolutely wipe out a dealer because the dealer's spending all of their time and their mechanics time. The owner or manager's time chasing these warranty claims down. And many times the software systems to file these warranty claims are very complicated and take a very long time to submit the claim. In a quarter the mile, customer's the bike is in your shop. The customer's bike is there. The customer brought it in and said, I'm not happy about this. My brand new bike isn't working. Now you have to do the diagnostic for free. You determine the problem with the bike. And then you reach out to the manufacturer and say, this is my diagnostic. This is what my computer and my man, my mechanic say is wrong with your bike. Now we need to get this bike fixed. And you have to ask the warranty manager at that manufacturer, at that company to approve that. Now you're waiting. So you're waiting to get an approval. And these days are ticking by. Your customer's not happy about that. When you do finally get an approval from the warranty department and you look it up and you say, well, okay, I've got now 10 minutes to fix this thing. Well, you also have to have the part. Now with most dealerships, we don't stock every single part for every single bike we sell on our shelves. We can't. If you look at an average manufacturer that has 35 different bikes, that's 35 different ECUs, electronic control units or computers. We're not going to stock that. That's that's $100,000 worth of inventory, $100,000 worth of product. We need to wait for them to send it to us. And we need to hope that they have that product on the shelf there at their warehouse in Texas or Georgia or California or wherever they are. So from the moment a customer says, I have a problem with my bike, the bike has to get into the shop. Once the bike gets into the shop, whether it's towed in or pushed in or dragged in or ridden in, once the bike is there, we have to do the diagnostic. We have to file the warranty claim. We have to wait for the approval for the warranty. And then we have to wait for them to get the part and send us the part. Now we pay for the part, believe it or not. We actually pay for the part. So we pay for the part. Four days later, five days later, when the part arrives and we go ahead and install the part, test drive the bike, make sure everything's great. Then and only then can we submit the warranty claim to the manufacturer to get our 12 minutes of labor at a reduced rate. And once we prove the work has been done, sometimes they actually make us take a photo of it, which I think is hilarious. Then will they credit us for that ECU, that very expensive part, they will then credit that to our parts account. Now I gave them money in the form of a payment and then they re, uh, refunded that money to my parts account. They just took my money in a manner in which I can only use that money to pay for things in my parts account. And this is another slippery way that these companies, these manufacturers can play the tax game on you. You're paying for the part because like you're paying for any part that you'd buy from them. But once it's determined that you're not an idiot and that was really the part that needed to be replaced in the warranty claim, then they're going to credit that over to your parts account. See what they're doing there is they're writing it off as a loss. 
So they're taking that part at full value and saying that that was a loss for their company because it was a warranty claim that they had to send out. Meanwhile, you paid for that part at full value. You didn't pay for the part at the price that they sell it to you. Because remember, consumer buys it for a price, dealer buys it for a lower price, and the manufacturer gets it for a much lower price still. They're making money every step of the chain. We've accidentally found out sometimes what these manufacturers actually get these bikes for, and it makes us sick when we see how much money they're making and they're not even the ones opening a crate. It can be really disheartening sometimes, and if the public knew about it, they'd be pretty upset. The idea of owning your own shop and going through this every single day. Now, if you're the type of person that just wants to wrench on motorcycles, that is fantastic. And if you want to own your shop and you want to wrench on motorcycles for a living, honestly, that is the most pure way to do it. I applaud you and we need 20 more of you in Cleveland. And I'm not saying that, you know, just to get sympathy. I'm serious when I tell you, we used to have seven or eight private motorcycle repair shops in Cleveland. And I think we might have two now. I think we might have two. And they're the kind of thing where you got to know a guy, right? Otherwise, you're taking it to the Harley dealer. Otherwise, you're taking it to the Triumph dealer. Otherwise, you're taking it to the Honda dealer. But here's a wrinkle. These dealers, I heard one the other day where the dealer refused to work on any bike that was over 10 years old. 10 years old. Now, I had heard 18, then it went to 14. This was the first time I had heard 10 years old. And I mean, it got my attention quick. So, could you imagine going into your motorcycle dealership, pick the name of the bike, it doesn't matter, and you say, okay, I've got a Kawasaki Versus that's 10 years old, 11 years old. It's exactly the same as the one you have on your floor. Yep, we won't work on it. Why? I bought it here. Yeah, it's 11 years old. Well, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but there's a reason the dealer's doing it. There is a massive shortage of motorcycle mechanics. I mean massive. And you have to draw the line somewhere. If you used to have four mechanics working at your shop, like I did, four or five mechanics working at your shop, I can assure you that right now, you probably don't have four or five mechanics working at your shop. You're probably lucky to have two good ones. So if your available manpower has gone down, because one, there are not people that are being trained to be motorcycle mechanics as much anymore at all. Two, a lot of people have gone and found work in other industries and found other work that may be easier to do or is less seasonal or the money is more reliable. But there is not the 18 or 19 or 20 year old hard starter or hard charger coming up in the industry that I remember when I opened the shop and I had guys knocking on my door saying, yeah, I'm an 18 year old guy, I love motorcycles and I'll do anything to just come in and sweep the floors and let me do oil changes. I want to get my feet wet, right? And that doesn't happen anymore. That's gone. That is absolutely long gone. And for the dealer, that puts tremendous stress on us because your mechanic is going to be the one who's going to be, they might be prepping the bikes. They might be doing all the warranty claims. Uh, they might be dealing with all that. And in addition to that, if you've been in business like I have been for 20 plus years and you've been selling an average of 300 bikes per year, 
Well, that's 6,000 customers you've got on the road. And those 6,000 customers on the road, well, that's 6,000 bikes a year if they all decide to bring their bikes in one time a year. So as a dealer's been around a lot longer, his base for his service department will get deeper and deeper and deeper. And you've got to make a decision. If I'm going to service the guy, if I'm going to say, yes, I'm going to change the oil, I'm going to do your tires, I'm going to do whatever on your bike I sold you last year, right? Well, you only have as many mechanics as you have. You only have as many billable hours of labor per week as you can bill in those two mechanics. So you're going to have to start saying no to a lot of stuff. Now, in our shop, I can tell you that looked like we used to do tons of 60s and 70s Japanese JDMs, man, or UJBs, Universal Japanese Bikes. We did that stuff for years and we loved it. And we all enjoyed it and it was super fun and super cool. And we had extra mechanics. But then when we didn't have any extra mechanics, we had to stop doing that. We had to focus on the people. We had to get the jobs done for the people who bought their bike three or four years ago that just need the basic maintenance stuff. They need a tire. They need an oil change. They need a battery. They need chains. They need sprockets. They need the basic stuff. Also, a lot less people are doing their own maintenance. That's a reality, too. Due to fuel injection and due to um, the bikes being a little more complicated than they used to be, and uh, tires not being tube tires, and it's it can be a little more daunting for people, and people are just busy with other things, and they didn't grow up with their dads teaching them how to wrench on stuff. Uh, we have had way, way, way more service. So you have to say, if I've only got two mechanics, if I can only, if I can only schedule 80 hours of service a week, that's all I can schedule, man. That's it. So that means I'm going to have to pare down the weird stuff. I'm going to have to pare down the other stuff. And that happens. And that's happened at every freaking shop I can think of. Uh, and we get the calls and they're angry. People are really angry. And by the time they call me, you get a guy who owns a BMW. He owns a 14-year-old BMW. He called the shop he bought it from. They told him, no, his bike's too old. He said, well, you took my money last year. Why won't you take my money this year? I can't. Your bike's too old. Uh, we don't work on anything over 14. So he calls another shop that's a multi-line shop. He calls them and they say, yeah, you know what? We're so busy. We just don't have the man manpower right now. And yep, your BMW takes a special computer or whatever. We're just too busy for that. Uh, you know what? Can you call the BMW dealer? I just got off the phone with them. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. I'd love to be helping you, but I'm too busy right now. Try the other shop. And we answer so many phone calls every single day from people who are calling us as their third or fourth or fifth call they made. And we used to be very motorcycle heavy. Our shop was a motorcycle shop that happened to sell scooters. Now we are absolutely positively a scooter shop that happens to sell motorcycles. Why did we make the change? Well, because we are leading our brands that we are leading with. Bikes were selling the most units, and that's what it comes down to, the units, the bikes that we sell. We're selling 400 a year of selling scooters. We're selling motor scooters at 400 plus units per year. Now, doing that, we don't have the time, because of our demand, we don't have the time to be messing around with entertaining the guy who wants to buy a 74 Honda CB750K, right? Uh, we don't have time for that. We just don't. And 
we need to be selling the people that are knocking on the door saying, hey, I want to come in and buy a Vespa today. I'd love to help you, but I'm busy listening to a guy tell me about his motorcycle he saw once in a parking lot in 74 uh, that may or may not buy a bike for me someday, or he might just be lonely, right? And we've had to stop messing around with the old motorcycles because we just found if we're focused, the customers know we're focused, they come in, they know what they want to buy, we know what we're selling, it's a much faster exchange. We can do more of that in the same time. Even when we have a bike in our showroom like a 10-year-old CB500X, a Honda that anybody would love to own, a nice lightweight adventure style bike, but now the customer that's coming in to look at that well, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do a scooter or a motorcycle, and it's my first bike, and I was also looking at a Vulcan 650. Well, now this is not the laser beam, high-speed, low-drag sales of uh, experience that we both want to have. Now this is just, boy, wow, I'm really doing a lot of education for you. A lot of stuff you should be doing at home with the internet or watching YouTube videos, I'm here doing it for you in real time, and that might be more my shop can handle right now due to the fact that we don't have extra staff due to the fact that I don't have an extra sales guy just to entertain people who don't know what they're buying because in our past we've had that guy I mean I'll be honest with you as a motorcycle shop and scooter shop we've had people that we had employed at our shop that were not heavy hitter uh, sales guys and that were not super knowledgeable about scooters and motorcycles because we just needed the bodies to talk to the old people or talk to the uh, insecure people or talk to the uneducated people who weren't really certain if they were going to be buying a bike this year or next year or the year after that, or if they were just lonely, because that's a real thing. So I really don't think that getting into the idea of a dealership, if you want to work on motorcycles, don't do a dealership. If you want to work on motorcycles, there's a phrase, I the phrase that pays, and I've said it, is... Stay small, keep it all. Stay small, keep it all. Be a one-person shop. Have three lifts. Focus on what you love and what you're good at. Don't branch out into Harley-Davidson if all you've ever worked on is Japanese bikes. If you love BMW and you are, uh, you've owned several BMWs and you love the way they're put together, then be the guy. Be the gal. Be the person in your neighborhood that does BMWs because I assure you, your BMW dealer will feed you all the work you could possibly handle. If you become the non-shop, shade tree, good reputation mechanic, you will never go hungry again, even in a place like Cleveland, because we are all going to feed you jobs. And we have several people like that that we have fed jobs to over the years. And the sad news is they are dried up. There's one, maybe two guys in Cleveland I send work to now when we're just too deep, when we're in the weeds. So when you get that, when you get that call and somebody says, I'm so, I'm so pissed off right now because the dealer that I bought my bike from just told me he won't work on my bike because it's 14 years old. Back up. Don't, don't burn a bridge. Don't go in there and tell that dealership how you're never buying anything from them ever again, because you might be burning a bridge with a guy that seriously, that's just the technique he has to have to just survive.
to just pay the bills and stay open because it is not in your best interest if they close. You might think, yeah, the hell with that guy. I'm so glad he's closed. Well, when he's closed and when the other guy's closed and when the other guy's closed, your options are going to be a lot smaller. And we've seen that happen. Hey, welcome to West Virginia. Uh, if I remember correctly, there's a place right by the river here on 30 that's like Big Kahuna's Tiki Bar Strip Club or something. can't remember exactly where it is, but I know it's close to where we are right now. I have to try hard enough. I'm sure I could find it. Uh, so that's the thing. So when you do think about that, you're like, oh, man, these dealers are just raking in the money. They're not raking in the money. I, would, I assure you, uh, you want to be a millionaire in the motorcycle business, you start with $2 million, you'll have a million in no time. And I was told that a long time ago. And I also made the mistake of branching out and opening up multiple stores. And that was the worst thing I could have ever done. Because after I closed my multiple stores and went back to just one store, it was amazing that I didn't lose any money. So I only gained about 20% more money by opening a second store. But my pain in the butt went up dramatically, went up easily 100%. I maybe only earned 20%, 30% more money. But when I closed that store and all those customers I built, it turned out they really would have driven across town to see us. Those customers did drive back across town to see us. They drove back across town to get our service. And so by closing that second store, I had then got a boost in my first store. So keep in mind that running the dealership, if the guy's charging you 120 bucks an hour, He's not just putting your 120 in his pocket and like, yep, steak dinner tonight, guys. No, I assure you, it's crazy how much money it costs to run a shop. It is out of control how much money it costs to run a store. And when you see that, if you work for one for any period of time, you'll kind of get an idea. And if the guy's charging you something, if you're like, hey, wait, you're charging me uh, $60 for this bar end mirror. And I can find the exact same bar end mirror with the exact same logo and the exact same packaging on Amazon for 30 bucks. I can order it on Amazon for 30 bucks and you're charging 60 for it. Yeah, he's charging 60 for it. It's called Keystone because some stuff he needs to buy and he needs to make a profit to stay in business. And he Keystones those items and he Keystones items that he knows he may not sell very frequently but he has to have them around. So if he has to have it around, he's not going to sell it very frequently, then he'll keystone. He will inflate the price of that item because he's losing it on so many other things. He's losing it on nuts and bolts and screws. He's losing it on windshields. Man, when you buy a windshield, don't ever ask your dealer to ship you a windshield. The shipping on a windshield is more than the windshield, right? And people don't realize that. So when a dealer, when you go into a dealership and say, man, I saw that dealer charging 30 bucks for that gremlin bell. And it's the same gremlin bell I saw on Amazon this morning for seven bucks. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's real. He's not a bastard. He's just making it up where he can. He's trying to get the wins on items so he can bring that 10% margin he makes on the bikes. So he can try to eke that up a little bit. Yeah. If a, if a dealer tries to, you know, boy, this guy really wanted to sell me every accessory that he could sell me. Uh, yeah, there's a reason for that. It's because he makes more of a profit margin on the accessories than he does on the motorcycle. That's why. Uh, 
yeah, your problems, you're going into a brand new bike dealership. Somebody's going to probably talk to you about service contracts. They're going to talk to you about tire warranties. They're going to talk to you about roadside support programs and gap insurance and all kinds of this crap that's going to add $2,000 to the price of your $1,800 Navi. Uh, it's real. It happens all the time. Hey, I'm in Beaver County. Welcome to Pennsylvania. The, uh, Welcome to Pennsylvania. Thank you. The, uh, so that's a real thing. So just a little bit of an insight, a little tip from your Uncle Phil. And let's like I said, it's part of that Cleveland Moto Delivers idea that I'm going to be out in the truck driving around. If I've got some time, I'll shoot you some extra content. And uh, you can hit me if you have any more questions. Remember, you can always send your uh, messages to us. If you have any email questions, if you've got anything you want to know more, remember it's clevelandmoto at gmail.com. And clevelandmoto at gmail.com to send all of your correspondence to the podcast. And we'll be happy to answer your stuff online. If you like it and you really thought like you learned something, remember we do uh, use Patreon to pay the bills around here. So microphones, recording rigs, all that stuff that we take out in the field with us. When we go to an event and we've rented four or five camping spaces, um, that's all paid for with Patreon money. It's not all coming out of uh, the guys that do the podcast. They're not paying for that kind of stuff out of their own pocket. So, uh, you know, send us a virtual beer by going to Patreon and looking up Cleveland Moto. And that's uh, we really do appreciate that. So that's it, guys. Remember to ride fast and take chances.